Hey, Socrates, Magnus here. Say, uh, normally this is the sort of thing that I'd probably do in an episode in the future where I have a little bit more time to talk about feedback, but given that there's a lot of, I don't know, synergy between the subject of this email that you sent me and today's subject, I'm going to go ahead and tackle this right now. And for those of you who don't know, Socrates is a listener of this show, and he sent me an email on August the 6th, the title of which was Astro City. So, would anybody care to take a guess what he wanted to talk about? Anyway, subject line is Astro City. The date, as I say, is August the 6th, and this is Socrates saying, Good morning, Lord Magnus. I just got through a morning bike ride while listening to your recent show on the first issue of Astro City's second volume. When I think of all the comics I've read in the last 20 years and all the characters and comic book concepts in those stories, the most consistently interesting have come from Astro City. In fact, it's one of the five ongoings in my current pull list, and I just slimmed that list down after moving to a new, uh, to a new town. I'm going to put your email on pause here, uh, Socrates, and just say, you know, good on you. I'm, I'm actually really glad to hear that, because <clears throat> at least among the Two True Freaks podcast network, it stands to reason that, that Astro City has got to have a lot of fans, right? A lot of fans. But... As you probably know, I haven't really seen a whole lot of love for Astro City, whether it's in some other Two True Freaks podcast network show, or if it's on the Two True Freaks uh, Facebook group, or what. I mean, I go into the, the Two True Freaks uh, cantina page a little bit, but I don't really spend a whole lot of time there. So maybe people talk about Astro City there all the time. I don't know. All I know is that it seems as though I'm really the only one on the Two True Freaks network that's talking about Astro City. So it's kind of nice to know that you're right there with me. And I guess, you know, in in relation to all of that, you know, the, the Astro City uh, show that you're sending feedback for, Astro City number one, that show is, well, it... it, it it's done some pretty good numbers, I must say. You know, I mean, we're in the month of August at the time that I record this right now, this little intro. It's the month of August. And it's, I don't know, it, it's its all relative, I suppose, but it's fairly high up even now in uh, the download numbers. But um, when you get back uh, to uh, July, the numbers, I, I, guess it, I guess because of the fact that uh, Astro City, it... it was technically released on July the 31st, if that makes sense, because I usually upload these shows on Wednesday. So, you know, the semi-decent numbers that Astro City did, my Astro City episode, this is episode 211, the modest numbers that it did for July, well, just keep in mind, it was really only available for just like a couple of hours during the month of July. After which time, you know, basically after the time that I that I came home from work and then, you know, found a moment to upload uh, uh, the Astro City episode to the Two True Freaks uh, page. So that works out, you know, between that time and midnight, like at best, I would say that's probably like four hours. So I would say that, you know, the fact that this show was only available for like 
four, maybe five hours during the month of July, episode 211, was only available during the month of July for, you know, four or at most five hours. It's kind of skimpy numbers for, for the month of July. They're actually a lot more impressive than you might think. But as it goes for the month of August, I would say these are actually pretty solid numbers, you know, and it, I, I guess it's worth saying, I mean, I don't want to bore you, Socrates, too much with like the administrivia of my show and my downloads and all of that stuff. But my point in saying all of this is that, you know, a lot of people in a completely relative sense, a lot of people seem to enjoy listening to shows about Astro City. So um, I'm, I'm happy about that, but I actually haven't really gotten that much feedback, believe it or not. So this is definitely welcome. But anyway, to get back into the, uh, the uh, email from Socrates, uh, he writes, whenever you want to feature this title on your show, I'll be a very happy listener. I was especially blown away by the Samaritan special, the supersonic special, and the Silver Agent two-parter. The new ongoing is just as good as the first overall, too. Keep up the great work. Best regards, Socrates and Palm Bay. And Socrates, thank you very much. I really do appreciate you taking the time to send this in. And as I say, I wouldn't normally feature feedback this new so soon, but like it, it relates to today's episode in a kind of obvious way. So I thought, well, now is probably going to be a pretty good time to get into that. The other thing, though, is I don't think I... I've made a, a a major point of, you know, hammering away at this too much, but Socrates, in case it wasn't clear, obviously I'm in love with Astro City too. I mean, I can't remember if I said it uh, back in episode 211 or if it's this episode that you're about to hear, but honestly, uh, Astro City is pretty much everything that I want from comics. You know, this is, this is it. And I love this world. I love these characters. I love the fact that it's an anthology book, so you don't really get fed up on just one character. Or about the time that you are getting fed up with just one character, you, it's just about time to move on to some new characters. You know, I like that. I like the scattershot nature of it. You know, it, uh, it, it I, I find that very appealing. I like that. And obviously, again, I don't know if I've made a a huge point of saying so either in episode 211 or in this episode that you're about to hear again, but obviously I am, you know, I, what, what I want to do is work my way through a lot more Astro city. Now, Socrates, and I guess to everybody listening, I really don't know how long Trennis Magnus punches reality as a ongoing podcasting concern is going to last. I mean, I guess, you know, what, the the gentleman's agreement that I've made with myself is that it's going to stick around for at least the end of the Smallville retrospective. You know, um, it may have a life beyond that. It may not. I'm I'm really not making any guarantees on that. You know, so Socrates, where this concerns you is I can't promise that I'm going to get through everything that has an Astro City logo on it. Maybe I will, maybe I won't, but for sure, you know, what I, what I want to do, no matter how long my, my podcast lasts, for sure, what I want to do is talk about a lot more Astro City because, you know, I'm not trying to beat this to death or anything, but I just, I fucking love this book. I love this title. I love this world, love this, uh, these characters. I love, 
uh, Kurt Busiek on this book, you know? And, you know, sometimes, uh, Socrates, I'm not sure if, if you've been in the game long enough to, like, really remember this, but, you know, back in the 90s, you know, anybody who had a word processor was pretty much given a creator-owned title back in the 90s. And, you know, maybe it was Image Comics or maybe it was, I think there was one that was uh, uh, Bravora, I think is what it was called. Um, you could self-publish like Terry Moore did. I mean, there were any number of ways to get your comic book out there back in the 90s if that's what you wanted to do, right? Tons of options, not to mention all the different you know, independent comic publishers and all that. But, you know, Socrates, I'm going to be real honest with you here. And I'm going to suggest to you that the overwhelming majority of these creator-owned books, and I speak here strictly on a creative level, not about aftermarket value or anything like that, but strictly on a creative level, a lot of these books just weren't worth it, you know? They they weren't, you know? I mean, I know that, just to pick one at random, you know, Ash by uh, uh, Joe Casada and Jimmy Palmiotti. Uh, it had a fair number of fans. I remember them in the 90s. You know, they were, you know, they were Ash fans. But I don't really know anybody who remembers Ash, or even if they do, they have, I don't know, like this undying love for Ash. You know, I just don't think there are very many, uh, very many of those out there. You know, and I think that same basic principle can be said for a lot of creator-owned comics from the 90s where some things maybe don't need their own comics. Maybe that's the best way to put it. I don't know. But what I will say is that Astro City is by no means part of that number, you know? Astro City is definitely... It definitely merits having its own book and being a creator-owned title and all of that, you know? I want Kurt Busiek to have all the success uh, with this. And as I say... Speaking as somebody who hasn't paid, like, super close attention, it just... I haven't really gotten the idea that he's gotten all the love and appreciation that I think he's due. So, anyway, like I say, I'm not trying to repeat myself too much. I just want to say that, yes, I very much agree with you. And I, too, love Astro City. And I certainly intend to talk about it more in the future. How much of it I'll be able to get through during the life of my podcast, I honestly don't know. But that is definitely something that I want to talk about. And that, I think, is pretty much that. Now enjoy the rest of the episode. I've studied the form of comics intimately. What you need is a hobby. For words and pictures, it could be more of an art form. What the fuck are you talking about? I don't know, it's pretty goddamn weird. A guy dresses up like a double and he's a blind lawyer, you know? We have to do Aquaman. No one with a lick of sense would watch that show. The word fan actually is a, an abbreviated form of fanatic. And there are some people who fit that category. I believe comics are a last link to an ancient way of passing on history. You can put on a uniform for football year-round, nobody cares. 
Basketball year-round, nobody cares. Put on a Star Trek uniform, people get a case of the giggles. Yeah, hi, somebody told me they make comic books here. That's from Superman? Smallville. You have been trying that Jedi mind shit on me since the eighth grade. It doesn't work. Oh, it works. You guys must read too many comic books or something. People do not masturbate in the DC universe. That was the biggest load of crap I've ever heard. Welcome back to Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and what I do is talk about comics, comics, and more comics. In actual practice, but on paper, what I'm supposed to do is talk about comics, movies, and TV shows. But guys, the way I look at it, and this is my my honest opinion, alright? The way I look at it is... Everybody who's involved in fandom or any kind of, uh, I just, I guess just a geek kind of venture, everybody has a first love. And when it comes to me, my first love has always been comics, you know? And so because of that, even though this podcast is ostensibly dedicated to comics, movies, TV shows and the discussion thereof, you just can't fight City Hall sometimes, you know? I love comics. And when it comes to comics, I'm not going to say that Astro City, the the Kurt Busiek image comics uh, title, and then I guess it was eventually published by DC... I'm not going to say that that's my favorite comic book in the history of anything ever, always, and forever, world without end, amen. But what I will say is Astro City delivers so much of what I personally want from comics. And so because of that, what I did was, a while back, I worked my way through, I want to say it's a... Almost a year ago, I worked my way through a, a mini series called It's All About Image. And originally, this mega series was supposed to be more extensive than it ultimately became. But one of the titles that I talked about was the original Astro City mini series, right? And then, not very long after that, I kind of got a little bit of a wild hair to talk about the ongoing. Astro City title. So went ahead and did that, talked about the first issue, and guys, I had a real blast doing that. And something else is the response. I mean, if download numbers are any indication of popularity, and I tend to think they are, but if download numbers are any indication of popularity, you guys enjoyed listening to me talk about Astro City number one. So call me crazy, but I think I've got a mandate. 
here to talk about more Astro City comics. And as it goes for today, to kind of run with a little bit of a theme here, I'm going to be talking about Astro City number two. And this is... I don't know why, but... And, and I guess maybe we can get a little bit more into it when I finally start talking about the comic book proper, but I don't know why, but I've always kind of marked this as the beginning of something new with Astro City, but we'll circle back to that in just a little while. But for right now, the, uh, today's comic is Kurt Busiek's Astro City, number two, publisher is Image Comics, imprint is Wildstorm, cover date is October 1996, on sale date is October the 23rd, 1996. Cover price is $2.50. Artist is Brent Anderson. Inker is Will Blyberg. Writer is Kurt Busiek. Cover is by Alex Ross. Letterer is Comicraft. Colorist is Alex Sinclair. Managing editor is Anne Hunting Busiek. Editor is Jonathan Peterson, and the title is Everyday Life. Story synopsis is as follows. The first family is a multi-generational family of heroic explorers. Born in 1986, Astra First is the youngest member of the family and of the team. Astra's astonishing powers first emerged back when she was a toddler. As the newest member of the first family, Astra was an instant media delight and child celebrity. Because of her family and her fame, Astra's life is far from normal. She's been cocooned inside a private environment that centers almost exclusively on first family related projects and activities. She's homeschooled by Mr. Smarty, a holographic, computer-generated construct designed by her grandfather, Dr. Augustus First. She also trains in the use of her powers each and every day, and even though she's still a young child, Astra regularly joins the First Family on their many adventures, which include dangerous confrontations with the Unholy Alliance, the virtually omnipotent Thunderhead, Silverbrain, and others. Astra has become recognized as possibly the most famous most powerful 10-year-old girl in the world. But even though she excels at being a superhero, she has a lot of difficulty relating to other children. Astra is not allowed to watch television because apparently that's too violent. She's never been on play dates, and really she has no friends her own age. On her way home from a disastrous television interview, one day, Astra spots a group of children playing hopscotch. She becomes obsessed with both hopscotch and also with what it means to be a normal kid, quote-unquote. And so, because of all of that, she decides to go on an adventure of her own. This is an adventure so big to her way of thinking that she keeps it secret from everyone, even her pet fish, Uranium. Leaving only a note for her family to find later on, Astra heads out on her adventure. To be continued. So, what did I think? Well, to circle back what I was to, to what I was saying uh, earlier, I kind of regard Astro City number two 
as a little bit of a turning point for Astro City. And the reason for that is because so far, the Astro City miniseries and the first issue of this ongoing series, they've both presented these sort of done-in-one types of stories where there's a beginning, a middle, and an end, and everything gets wrapped up in a single issue. And this story involving Astra is actually the first time, although God knows, not the last, but this is the first time that Buziak has told a story that, frankly, is just a little too big to fit inside a single issue. I mean, I know what happens in Astro City number three, and I suppose on paper, you probably, or at least in theory, you could fit all of that stuff into a single issue. It's just that Astra goes on a journey, and I would say that she kind of takes, in some ways, in a kind of metaphorical sense, she kind of takes the first family on her journey with her. Not literally, but metaphorically. You know, they kind of go on a little bit of a journey too, and so I don't think this story... I don't think that you could do justice to this story by cramming everything into a single issue, you know? And so, basically what we're seeing here in Astro City number two, it really is... See, it it almost feels a little bit reductive in a sense to say that it's all set up for what happens in the third issue, because there are things that are of legitimate interest that happen in the second issue, but the payoff for all of this and a lot of the development, that stuff mostly happens in issue number three, you know? So I'm not trying to be disrespectful to the second issue. I'm just saying that the lion's share of the payoff for all of this is still to come. But, uh, forgive me, I really don't know why my throat is so dry all of a sudden. But anyway, that's not to say that there isn't anything interesting about about this second issue, right? And I guess what I mean by that is, so far, what we've seen in Astro City is basically Kurt Busiek sort of creating a pastiche of not just DC comics, as I've said before, and I think that's primarily what I've talked about before, but the pastiche is extended to include Marvel. And Probably the most Marvel element of all of Astro City has got to be, without question, the first family, right? And it seems pretty clear to me that they're sort of a tip of the hat to the Fantastic Four. Now, there are some differences, you know, the the first family is a little bit more uh, intergenerational than the Fantastic Four is. But if you can imagine sort of a a second or even a third generation Fantastic Four, then I guess a variation on that is probably what you'd have with the first family. Although, here again, if it's a second or a third generation Fantastic Four, probably calling them four isn't enough anymore. But you get the idea, you know? I'm not a big expert on the Fantastic Four, but in my mind... I've always kind of thought that eventually they wouldn't just be a small group of people. They would eventually be a family. And then 
I, and I really don't know when, but there would come a point when they would become not even a family anymore. It's almost like they're sort of like a superhero sort of dynasty in a sense, you know? And so something along the lines of the first family has always been what I envisioned was lying in store for the Fantastic Four. Does that make sense? To where you'd have a fairly large Reed Richards originating family. Basically, the, Re the, uh, the Richards family would grow to such a level, and it would almost... I mean, basically, the, the Richards family would be to the superhero community what the Bushes or the Kennedys are to politics, you know? And that is basically what we're seeing here, you know? And I just really dig that. But, you know, moving away, I guess, just from, like, the big picture type stuff, I just kind of like Astra on on just, like, an entertainment level. I mean, I just, I think she's a really neat character, you know? And if you just look at her laundry list of powers, I mean, one of them is... Uh, Astra, this is just a listing of superpowers that I found, so I'm just going to read off of this. This comes from Herocopia.com. It says, Astra can instantly convert her entire body into energy while retaining her consciousness and her rough physical form. She's also been observed transforming specific parts of her body, such as her hands and forearms. While in her energy form, Astra can fly and appears immune to a physical attacks. Flight. While her top speed has never been measured, Astra is incredibly agile in flight and is able to dodge multiple lasers, weave complex patterns, and fly through small openings. Energy Blasts Like her uncle Nick, Astra can project damaging streams of energy from her hands. Energy Manipulation Astra has some fine control over her energy projection, allowing her to encircle enemies in coils of energy, emit particle streams that she can use to manipulate and levitate small objects, create energy campfires, and even draw simple symbols or shapes, such as, hop, such as a hopscotch board, in the air or a suitable surface. She's also able to affect energy other than her own by partially merging her energy with the external power. Disruption. Astra's energies can seemingly disrupt various types of transmissions including psychic communication. Energy Empathy As an energy being herself, Astra has an innate understanding of other forms of energy. During one battle with the Silver Brain, she, uh, she's able to partially dissolve into the villain's power core and shut it down. Strength Level Presumably, normal human strength for a woman who engages in intensive regular exercise. Weaknesses while Astra is seemingly intangible in her energy form, she can be injured by other energy attacks or being composed or, or beings composed of pure energy, such as the silver brain's antibodies. When she's not transformed, Astra is essentially a normal human, susceptible to injury, hunger, and cold. And that's a pretty broad overview <clears throat> of her abilities. But I guess to get into this issue proper, starting with the cover, I've I've spoken and in, in, in pretty, I think, complimentary terms of Alex Ross's covers at various times while talking about Astro City comics. And other times, 
Well, not so much about Astro City, but I've said that sometimes his work on covers kind of leaves me cold. But I, I want to say it was it was back in my episode about Astro City number one, where I said something to the effect of, there's something about working on Astro City that brings out the best in Alex Ross as a cover artist. I don't know what it is, but there's something about these characters or this world or this concept or something that takes what could have been fairly mediocre and lackluster work by Alex Ross and usually turns it into something memorable, right? And I think that can be said here of Astro City number two in this cover, where basically you've got Astra and she's staring sort of longingly out a window. And then behind her, all of this incredible stuff is happening with the first family. I mean, you have them working on all kinds of crazy uh, scientific experiments. They're using amazing superpowers. They're lifting uh, uh, what looks like really heavy objects and all this other stuff. And Astra is literally turning her back on all of that and gazing longingly out the window at presumably the normal world. So this does an interesting, uh, an interesting job, I suppose, of metaphorically or perhaps symbolically setting up the main sort of thrust of this story and where, where things are going to go with Astra, right? And I just dig that, you know, because to me what it says is Alex Ross had his thinking cap on whenever he was figuring out what type of cover illustration would best express what he's trying to achieve here, you know? I think it, I think it works out actually really well. So anyway, um, to get into the, the, the comic book proper, basically the issue starts with the reader being, I think, just shoved right into Astro's uh, Astro's world in pretty much, you know, it's right away. You know, this isn't a gentle introduction by any stretch of the imagination. On the one hand, Astro's doing all the same stuff that a lot of us do in the morning, but the difference is, She's inhabiting a world that's filled to overflowing with different kinds of science fantasy or science fairy tale types of concepts and superpowers and extreme alien technology and uh, different types of alien animals as her uh, as her pets and all of this stuff. I mean, you know, you've seen it uh, and we've all done it, you know, a uh, a million times in our lives, right? We're laying in bed, the alarm clock goes off, we turn it off, we... Uh, sit up, stretch, get out of bed, and, you know, feed, you know, feed the fish, and then, you know, head on downstairs for breakfast, you know, or maybe we do some exercise or something like that, right? And that's all the same shit that Astra's doing, but her alarm clock is some sort of artificial intelligence, this inter- interactive artificial intelligence uh, sort of wake-up call, and, and it looks like it's actually based somewhat on her mother, telling her to, you know, to, uh, to wake up and get out of bed. So instead of a conventional alarm clock, Astra's woken up by, um, I don't know how else to put it, just a, sort of an artificial intelligence. But it's the same basic idea, right? Astra gets out of bed, 
And instead of feeding the fish, she has this alien animal creature that she keeps as a pet called uranium. And uh, she uh, gives it, she gives him some fish food, right? So again, she's doing the same shit as all the rest of us, but it's on a very different scale. It's all done in a very different way. And then from there, you know, she does a little bit of training with her superpowers. And, you know, some, uh, a lot of people will do uh, push-ups or something like that. Whenever they wake up, they'll go jogging or something like that. And that basically is what Astra's doing, except that's not what she's doing. She's basically doing some training with her superpowers. You know, she's basically uh, getting shot at with these giant green lasers, and she's dodging them in her in her fire form with the greatest of ease, you know? And this is part of her morning wake-up ritual. She's done this before, you know? She's she's very well accustomed to this. So after that's all over, she she takes a bath, she goes downstairs, um, and she has her breakfast, which is is glowing. Then she changes out of her pajamas into her clothes, but instead of changing out of her pajamas into her clothes, she just basically reprograms her clothes. You know, she's uh, apparently... This is actually something that I'm not completely sure about. I don't know if she's got the... If she has the ability to rearrange the molecules of whatever clothes that uh, she's wearing, or if the clothes that she's wearing, there's just a button that she can push that reconfigures her clothes into something else. But how many times have children told their parents, I can dress myself. I don't need any help. Well, that's the conversation that Astra's having with her mom. But instead of it being Astra picking out her own clothes, it's that Astra can reprogram her clothes herself. She doesn't need mommy to do everything for her anymore, you know? And like I say, I mean, this speaks to Astra doing all the same stuff that everybody else does. It's just the context of it uh, that's different, or it's the fine details of it that are different. But in the big picture, I mean, she's really not all that different from anybody else, which is an important thing to keep in mind as we work through this storyline. So then from there, I wish I could tell you the uh, page number, but unfortunately I can't because God forbid we number these pages anymore. Uh, We get a little bit of backstory on what exactly the first family is and where this all comes about. And I guess basically what the first family's uh, mandate is. You know, you get an idea of their history and you figure out what exactly... Excuse me, let me just take a sip off my water here. All right, so hopefully that'll help with my, my throat here a little bit. Guys, look, you got to understand, it's not like I'm sick or anything. I mean, I'm, as far as I know, I'm perfectly healthy right now. I'm perfectly healthy right now. It's just that for some reason, I'm having some throat problems. I don't get it. It's kind of pissing me off. I mean, my throat's been fine all day, but for some reason, the instant I start podcasting, oh, that's when I start having throat issues, you know? It's fucking annoying. Anyway, so like I say, we get history on the first family a little bit, and it's basically an introduction into this this family's world. I mean, yeah, there's a there's a degree to which they're sort of another superhero team in Astro City, but it's kind of like the Fantastic Four. They're more than just a superhero team. As much as anything, they're explorers and, I guess, sort of scientific researchers, too. You know, they're not just superheroes, but they're that, too, you know? So, anyway, 
From there, we start getting a little bit of a taste of Astra's life as a public figure and as a celebrity, you know? And one of the things that becomes apparent very quickly is that, you know, Astra, she is a child, you know? And if an adult was on a news show to talk about their activities as a superhero or something like that, they would be a little bit more glib with the news host. They wouldn't just answer with yes and with no, you know? They would actually be a little bit more personable than that. They would give fuller answers. They would tell anecdotes or basically they would just basic, they would provide a complete answer to things instead of just saying, yeah, and nah, you know? So Astra, on the one hand, she's very well aware of the fact that she's not a normal little girl. But on the other hand, she's still a normal little girl and that this is an unusual environment for her to be in, you know? And the like a good example of what I'm talking about is actually right here at the... Oh, there is a number on this page. At the bottom of, of uh, page six, the news host says, So, Astra, I'm sure most of the kids in our audience are dying to know. Does it feel weird to travel to other dimensions and fight monsters and stuff? And so Astra says, Um, not really. It's fun, but... And then she just sort of trails off. And then the the host comes back with, what about being so famous or having relatives that aren't even human? I mean, that's got to be strange. She says, I don't know, I guess. And <clears throat> it's basically a, a fairly sort of uh, boring interview. But then right here on page seven, the worm sort of turns a little bit and... She starts answering sort of just stupid questions because you can kind of feel that the news host is starting to run out of ideas to talk about. You know, Astra is not, she's not being uncooperative on purpose, but let's face it, she's not exactly the most cooperative guest in, in the whole world. And so he starts asking her about her favorite color, what grade she's in, and then he accidentally steps into a minefield. You know, he says, what's your favorite TV show? And then Astra says, well, uh, I don't get to watch much TV. <clears throat> and then he says, do you ever have, like, slumber parties? And then she says, no, I don't really know too many other kids. And then he asks, do you have a boyfriend? And you can see it on her face. I mean, she's getting more and more uncomfortable with this. You know, she started off with her feet just on the floor. Then she starts sitting on one of her feet then she sits cross-legged, then she starts bringing her knees up to her chest, and she's getting less and less comfortable with all of this as things are going. You know, basically, the more normal and the more pop culture, and I guess the more social and things like that, the more of those types of questions that the news host is asking, the less comfortable Astra gets, you know? And the producer behind the glass realizes that she even says, uh-oh, She's losing it. Marty, superhero questions only from now on. I know we wanted to play her like Susie Normal, but it's not flying. No more kid questions. None. Got it? And so then from there, uh, the news host starts asking, so have you ever met the Irregulars? And she actually, she does a little bit better with herself. She says, oh yeah, Juice is cool. And Ruby's real nice. Palmetto's kind of icky though. 
And then the news host replies, Palmetto, he's the cockroach guy, right? And then Astro replies, he doesn't like it when you call him cockroach. And <clears throat> it's a little bit more of a better interview, you know, after all of that, you know? And what this sort of exposes is that Astra is basically completely disconnected from anything that's even remotely similar to a normal little girl's life, you know? And basically, she's aware of the fact that she's got powers and what she personally needs from, I guess her educational environment or her social environment or perhaps even her entertainment needs, whatever her superpowers might be, whatever superhero team she may be a member of, she's still got all the normal ambitions and curiosities of a 10-year-old girl. And so when she's being tutored by Mr. Smarty, she, she basically draws a hopscotch grid out of basically the sort of fire energy shit that she can emit. And basically Mr. Smarty has no idea that what he's looking at is a hopscotch pattern. He has no idea. And so he doesn't know what that is. He doesn't know what that means because it has nothing to do with the lessons that he's been programmed to teach. So he's not exactly the best source for answering questions like that, you know? And as far as universe building is concerned, I find that, well, I, that's that's an easy thing to believe. And of course, because of the fact that this is a story and it's kind of boring if we sit through an entire lesson, there's got to be some kind of an interruption that goes on, right? And sure enough, the first family gets called in to deal with the gorilla swarm. And so that's what they end up doing. Astra swings into battle alongside everybody else. And this is one of the few times when the the other members of the team, they're protective of her in as much as she's part of the team, but they're not really protective of her in the vocabulary of the fact that she's a little girl. You know, they trust her all the way, you know, in battle and whatnot. You know, and it's it's very telling that, you know, there are certain things that Astra isn't allowed to watch on TV, but she she's taken into battle you know where uh people get hurt maybe sometimes they get badly hurt you know all the time you know and that's not unusual you know so anyway astra manages to basically shut down the uh the the great big kirby machine of doom and pretty much wins the battle almost single-handedly while the rest of the first family deal with the, I guess, the foot soldiers that uh, the gorilla swarm is throwing out there. And back at, back at, and of course now I'm blanking on what exactly their little headquarters is called here. So it's, it's, it's right there. I think it's, it's, maybe it's just called like first family headquarters, but it's on Mount Kirby, right? Put it that way. And <clears throat> Basically, back at HQ, Astra corners her mom and draws the same hopscotch diagram as before. And 
says, what exactly is this? You know, I saw children playing this game earlier today. And what is this? How does this work? What is it about? And so her mom says, oh, yeah, that's called hopscotch. And it comes out that even her mother never played it as a little girl, you know? And so what comes out, though, is that other kids probably know what this is and 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 how to play it and all that. And so Astra says, all right, I'll just go ask them. And that leads to a, a kind of uncomfortable con conversation where the parent has got to set boundaries for the child. And what comes out in this conversation is, look, I know that you want to know about hopscotch and what this all is right now, but Grandpa and Uncle Julie, they're on an adventure right now. There's some, I mean, they're doing work, right? They're keeping the world safe. They don't really have time to answer your questions about hopscotch. So I know that you want to know about this. I know that you're curious, but you need to just be patient. You need to give this time, you know? And what this ends up doing is it basically creates a little bit of an obsession for Astra, not just about hopscotch, but also what it is to have a normal a normal person's life, you know? And she, basically what she starts realizing is, and I happen to think that there's actually something to this, but what she starts realizing is, I live in a world where supervillains and uh, uh, artificial intelligence alarm clocks and, you know, alien creatures that I keep as pets. <clears throat> All of that stuff is just part of day-to-day -day reality for me. And what I think Astra correctly realizes is the rules have got to be different for me. A normal child cannot just leave home and not tell anybody where they're going. But if Astra's going to understand what the world is and how it works, she can't do it from the standpoint of a carefully uh, stage-managed and protected, um, secure environment of meeting other children. You know, she has to go out there and learn all of this for herself, you know? And so that's what she decides to do. You know, she's not running away from home as such. She, she just thinks to herself, the others are on an adventure. Mom said it's, a, it's an important, that, that it's, an, it's important. And then she thinks to herself, on an adventure. And then she, she says, you know what, fuck it. Now it's my turn, you know? <clears throat> she leaves a note on her computer saying, I've gone on a adventure. Or sorry, I, I fucked it up even on that. I have gone on a adventure. Please feed uranium. Meaning, basically, uranium is her fish. That's what she's talking about. I have gone on a adventure. Please feed uranium. Love, Astra. And then she flies off into the night, you know? And she decides that whatever it is that she's going to do in terms of learning about hopscotch, learning about how normal children live, she's going to do this on her own time, on her own terms, 
and in her own way, you know? And I think there's a strong argument to the idea that, you know, Astra carries a certain amount of responsibility with her just for the fate of the free world on a day-to-day -day basis anyway. And so hasn't she earned the right to go on adventures of her own, to do her own thing, and maybe operate outside of the auspices of the first family? And I think there's a strong argument to the idea that, you know, maybe Astra should have left a little bit more of a descriptive note, but, you know, the reality is, you know, Astra can, at least when it comes to physical danger, she can take care of herself, you know? I mean, she can handle maybe not necessarily just anything, but she can handle a lot of stuff. I mean, she's fought and defeated supervillains, you know? And so, I guess what I'm saying is, you know, I, I think there's something to the idea that the rules that Astra should have to abide by, they're different from the rules that a normal, conventional 10-year-old girl would have to abide by, right? And I guess what I mean by that is a normal, conventional 10-year-old girl should not be allowed to leave home by herself going to parts unknown, all right? That just shouldn't fucking happen, you know? But Astra, yeah, maybe not going to parts unknown, but going off unsupervised and doing her own thing, well, she's not a normal 10-year-old girl, you know? I mean, we already know that the responsibilities that she has to meet are different from a normal 10-year-old. You know, her life is different from a normal 10-year-old. You know, if ever there was a 10-year-old girl anywhere in the world who's capable of doing what Astra is trying to do right now, it's Astra, you know? So, I kind of like the idea that Astra believes in herself enough to know that she can do this, you know? So, anyway. I haven't really talked uh, too much about the art through this, and that's actually kind of unfortunate. You know, I guess chalk it up to an oversight on my part. But, you know, I mean, I really am more of a writing guy to begin with anyway. So, you know, I guess maybe that's got something to do with it. You know, what I'll say is that, you know, throughout this whole story, you know, the art by uh, Brent Anderson, there are certain things that Brent Anderson draws really, really well. And there are certain things I don't know if he's quite as good at. But I really like his art in this issue. I mean, he's got a couple of money shots, right? Like on... Like on uh, page three, there's this sort of glory shot of Astra in her kind of fiery form. She's flying around through the air, getting shot at by these giant lasers and effortlessly dodging them. And then uh, there's this uh, there's this bit on uh, page eight near the tail end of her interview with the news host, where she's kind of she's shy, but she's smiling and she's kind of opening up a little bit. She's talking about you know people that she's met in the superhero community. And you've seen 10-year-olds make faces like this a thousand times, you know? So anyway, I mean, I realize I'm doing a little bit of a disservice to Brent Anderson, but anyway, point is, I love this comic book, which is to say this title. I love this title. I love specifically this issue and this storyline. I really like where things go with Astra. And overall, this is just another quality issue of Astro City, as might be expected from a badass like Kurt Busiak, right? So, anyway. That, I think, is pretty much it for 
Astro City number two, and as it happens, I think that's also pretty much it for me this week. Now, um, as to next week, I haven't... Ah, fuck it. I'll just come right out and say it. I'm going to talk about New Adventures of Superboy number two, right? I've talked about the first issue ages ago, so now I'm going to talk about issue number two, but I think that's pretty much it for me this week, so bye, everybody. I will see you next week. people make fun of 1990s comics. The way they tell it, you'd almost think they weren't avidly collecting those same comics themselves. But me? I've got a real soft spot for 90s comics, and so, starting in December of 2017, I'm launching a six-part mega-series called Cover Date, January 1991. The idea is to talk about, well, comics, with a January 1991 cover date. Anyway, yeah, that's right. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is going back to January 1991 for a look back at what comics were really like. Is it really as bad as people say? Well, there's only one way to find out. I want you to test drive some 1990s comics along with me. Who knows? You just might find something to fall in love with all over again. So, come back to January 1991 with Trennis Magnus for a fond, festive, frolicking trip down memory lane. The fun starts in December 2017 only at Trennis Magnus Punches Reality. You can find Trennis Magnus Punches Reality at TwoTrueFreaks.com or by searching in iTunes. Or, I guess you could search on Google if you're feeling really lazy. Cover date. January 1991 because 1990s comics are awesome. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, this is Jason Giaconetti. You may recognize my voice from the Vault of Starling Monster Horror Tales of Terror. And if you don't, you should be listening. But today I need to ask you a few questions. Do you like big bugs and you cannot lie? 
Other robots just can't deny that when the Queen of Space walks in and puts a blast in your face that your gears get sprung? Are you deep in the bee we're sharing? Are you hooked and you can't stop staring? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then have I got a podcast for you. Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast. From classics to cults and all the yummy, yummy cheese in between. Look for my new show, Bots, Bugs, and Babes, on the Two True Freaks Network and on iTunes. That's Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast. Double J on the Triple B is your hookup. Holler if you hear me. Thirty years ago, I walked into a comic store, and I picked up G.I. Joe and the Transformers number one. A month later, I came back. They say every journey has a first step. Every story has a beginning. This is mine. I may have begun my comics collecting career in earnest in 1990, but from the fall of 1986 until the fall of 1987, I was a regular at my LCS. So in honor of 30 years of collecting comics, I'll be recapping and reviewing all of them on the days they originally came out. So join me, Tom Panneries, for Origin Story, a podcast miniseries starting this September at popcultureaffidavit.com and twotruefreaks.com. I think that's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks podcast network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trennismagnus at gmail.com. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promo section. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. 
If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2 True Freaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the 2 True Freaks at the same time. 2 True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. All models are over the age of 18. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonzacore of Milan, Italy.